Luis Lopez. Give me a name. Muhammad Ali. Welcome to Give Me a Name, where a guest presents me, Ben Kirschenbaum, with a dead historical figure they find interesting, and we discuss. This episode comes out a month before the Ken Burns documentary on Muhammad Ali, so I would like to preemptively accuse Ken Burns of plagiarism. If the documentary repeats any information from this podcast, let it be known that those facts were invented here. Muhammad Ali, born Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr. What? And I swear <laughs> to God. Because you told me before this, you were like, make sure you know something about him. I was like, I, I know something, but it'd be great if you just didn't know the first level thing. He was a boxer. We good? <laughs> Got it. All right. Okay. White guy, right? All right. Uh, keep going. Yeah, right, right. Perfect. Uh, philanthropist uh, and activist. He was born January 17th, 1942 in Louisville, Kentucky. His most common nickname is just the greatest. That's pretty cool. Which he gave to himself, really. Also kind of cool. And then, you know, everyone at this point kind of is on board. And is yeah, like, exactly. just agrees. That, yeah. yeah, that guy was the greatest. Yeah. Who, who could really compete besides like numbers and stuff? But So besides numbers? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole thing is that like people have been undefeated, but everyone's like, no, he's still like the best because like that's how impactful he was right but i think when people say i really don't know boxing enough to like talk about just him you know compare him to joe lewis or compare him to rocky marciano or whoever else enters that conversation Mm -hmm. but i think one of the big arguments for a guy like ali yes he's not undefeated like rocky marciano was undefeated but he missed a good chunk of his prime yeah exactly which is another huge reason that everyone like not everyone that a lot of people admire him is because he gave up that prime for something he like believed in right which is very rare right to just be like i have such strong beliefs that i don't care if it costs me literally millions of dollars and those beliefs were also you know not shared by everybody because uh we will probably get into it later but uh, there's definitely two sides to that like huge decision that he made yeah, yeah absolutely and the only comparison i can think of just from a pure and we'll talk about why he decided not to or or why he didn't fight for a few years but in terms of just like his legacy, I feel like it's almost like Jordan missing a year and a half where it's like, oh, if he had done it, that would have been eight championships. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So with Ali, you can sort of project how great the career would have been had he played for those three and a half years, really right in his prime in his late 20s. Yeah, exactly. Because I feel like back then fighters used to fight more often because mm-hmm. now once a year is pretty good. But back then he fought like, you know, multiple times a year. So that's like nine fights that he could have had right. over three years. So it's a uh, it's fun and also kind of weird to think about how his career would have been different if he would have just done this one thing. All right, let's work our way up to why he missed some of that time. So he was born in Louisville. His father painted billboards and signs. Apparently, he was an alcoholic and kind of a loud, bombastic sort of guy, and it wasn't described as a particularly happy home. His mom was a household domestic for a rich white family, grew up Baptist, and as Cassius Clay, he was a poor student and dyslexic, which is probably why he was a poor student. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's uh, it kind of feeds into the very traditional fighter like upbringing. It's like bad home, maybe not great in school, very few other options. There's like a saying that like rich kids don't box, right? So it's only something you do when you have like really nothing else to go. So it all seems pretty par for the course for his uh, life leading up to it. And when he's 12 years old, he... The story goes that he was pissed off that someone had stolen his bike and that he runs into a policeman who was also a boxing coach named Joe Martin, 
and seeing this 12 year old kid really pissed off saying like i'm gonna kill whoever stole my bike or whatever he's like well why don't you go box yeah instead and actually learn how to beat someone up yeah exactly that, that's the whole thing it's like hey i want to kick this guy's ass he's like well do you know how to fight he's like no idea he's like all right maybe maybe try learning first and that yeah that's a great story in terms of how it started which i think 12 is a little late to start doing something like that i'm not sure i feel like nowadays maybe that yeah would i feel be like more. compared to now because now you see like six-year-olds hitting pads i'm like that's weird but uh yeah maybe back then it was great but awesome way to start <laughs> So in 1954, so that means when he's already 12 years, 12 years old, he makes his amateur boxing debut. He's boxing 12 years old. He's like, you know, starting to get into it. Mm -hmm. There's a story that in 1957, so that would be when he's about 15 years old, there's a box, a lightweight heavyweight champion named Willie Pastrano, who is hanging out at a hotel in Louisville. Okay. And apparently this young Cassius Clay calls him up and is like, I got a lot of questions. You're going to love me, like whatever, and talks to this guy. And it's also where he meets Angelo Dundee, who ends up being oh, wow. his coach for yeah, many, yeah, yeah. many years. Wow. That's, so he just called this guy who was like, he, I, was the other kid a, a pro fighter, you said? Or was he just... The other guy was a pro fighter, Willie Pastrana, oh, who was okay. already a big deal. So Italian, by the way. Yeah, I guess. So, so Italian. <laughs> but, uh, oh, that's crazy. What a bold move to just be like, a child and be like, hey, you're doing what I want to do. Let's talk. I'm sure you're going to love me. Yeah, (laughs) which I'm sure he did. And so in 1960, when he is 18 years old, he fights for the light heavyweight gold medal. He fights in the Olympics in Rome. Yep. And first of all, he's afraid of flying. So that was a big thing. I guess he was, that was the first time he's flown and he was terrified of it. Yeah. I, I heard a story that he was, he was on the plane and then he like wanted to have a parachute in case the plane like crashed. I think he may literally have had a parachute. Oh wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that that seems like a lot, <laughs> but uh, I respect it, I guess. But yeah, going to Rome for your first uh, fight is crazy or flight. Sorry, he wins the gold medal, mm-hmm. and it's sort of a pivotal turning point in his life when he comes back to America, a gold medalist, winning for his country, mm-hmm. and he goes into a restaurant, asks for food, and is not served because of it's a segregated restaurant. Yeah. If you ever watch, like, on YouTube, there's, like, tons and tons of clips because Muhammad Ali, over the course of his life, went on, like, every single talk show, Dick Cavett and Johnny Carson. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure which interview this specifically is, but he, the way he tells the story is that the woman said, we don't serve black people. And then he responded, good, I don't eat them either. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's not bad. (laughs) That's good. That's quick for just being, like, in the spot. I wonder if that's, like, a canned line he had. Like, when you do crowd work, you have, like, your quips. I wonder if he had that a lot. That's pretty (laughs) specific, though. Yeah. Although I get you. Yeah, Yeah, right. It's crazy, the the idea that you go and you, like, represent your country and you win and, like, the American flag and the anthem and everything played, and then they come back and they're like, still no. If you're going to be racist, at least be, like, nationalist also. Like, (laughs) like, be okay with me. No, I mean, it's... (laughs) It's really true. And and it's around this time period that he begins to get involved with the Nation of Islam, which yep. we can discuss a little bit. I don't want to discuss. Eh, let's 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 hold it for just one <laughs> well, second. We'll see how we deal with this. Um, so he begins his boxing career, his professional boxing career after the Olympics. He goes 19 and 0 with 15 knockouts mm-hmm. and has some tough fights. So he's not like dominant dominant, but he is winning consistently. Yeah. And In 1961, there is another kind of pivotal moment for him. He goes and sees live in Las Vegas a wrestler named Gorgeous George. Okay. 
And Gorgeous George was famous for being like a real showman and constantly is like, I'm the greatest, I'm the prettiest, whatever, and like puts on this like wild show okay. every single time. And Ali looked at him and was like, yeah, that guy's kind of being, you know, he's bragging and he's mm-hmm. sort of playing the villain. Yeah. At the same time, there are butts in the seats. Yeah, exactly. And Gorgeous George was one of the first people, or it seems like the main person, to inspire him to take on the sort of persona that he yeah like the brashness that he had wow that's crazy i didn't know that so it was like a it was like a like a wwe or type event i guess it's like before those leagues but yeah yeah, but it's that kind of thing wrestling wow that's crazy yeah jesus wait when was this it was oh it's after he went he won like 19 fights yes so it's 1961 after he's he's already a gold medal he already won the gold Yeah, yeah yeah okay and apparently, Gorgeous George also helped inspire James Brown in terms of his like public oh, persona. Oh, cool. Oh, this yeah. guy's a legend. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's inspiring everybody. All right. So the first huge match of his professional career, February 25th, 1964, in Miami, Clay versus Sonny Liston. Yeah. And... Still Clay. He's what? He's still Clay at that point. He's still Clay yeah. at this point. He's young. He, how old is he? Like 22? So he's like 22 years old. Yeah. And... He's a huge underdog going mm-hmm. into it. He's seven to one underdog. And also one fun thing. So Liston is was like a tough guy. He had a criminal past and like ties to the mob. Yeah, yeah. And Clay is still inspired by this gorgeous George thing, like mm-hmm. taunting him constantly, keeps calling him a bear. Yeah. And it's the beginning of Cassius Clay, then Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. like just being the biggest trash talker of all time. Great timing that he gets inspired by this famous like wrestler and then he has the biggest fight of his career. It's, right. it's like everything sinking up. But I feel like the story with Pastrano, the story of him calling up a guy, mm-hmm. there's something in him already that, yeah, that's yeah. fucking bold. Yeah, you can't fake that level of just confidence in yourself to right. en- enough to say that. It's it's insane. Yeah. So you're right. It's definitely something that I'm sure was like in him. So Clay versus Liston won. They will fight again. Mm-hmm. Liston, what ends up happening is that Liston doesn't answer the bell for the seventh round. So Clay wins in a huge upset. One rumor about this fight is it's possible that Liston put some ointment on his glove to make his opponent's eyes burn. Yeah, yeah. I heard that that was a whole like controversy. So Ali was going back and he was like, my eyes really hurt. And then it like partially blinded him. But I guess he was just that good that he was like, it doesn't even matter. Blind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He okay, so Cash Clay becomes the youngest heavyweight champion of all time, or the youngest person. It's some, it's one of those like asterisk ones. He was the youngest person to win the heavyweight championship. Okay, well, said someone just I, have I, it given to them. Yeah, seventeen-year-old. They do that sometimes. It's just like they do like a Willy Wonka. Thing, yeah, it's right? like a lottery <laughs> yeah. thing. It's great. I uh, yeah, that that's uh, I remember him saying that in in like one of the post in the post-fight interview. There, he was like. I'm the youngest ever. Like, I'm the greatest ever. Like, that's what he says after he wins. I got really into Ali because I think I have, like, this weird, almost, like, autistic type thing with quotes. I like hearing people say things. So, obviously, he was, like, a great speaker. So, anything that he says, I remember it, like, very clearly. And that's one one of the first ones I remember. He After he wins, he's, like, getting interviewed. And then the guy's like, all right, what are you going to do next? And he just starts going on his rant. He's like, I'm the greatest ever. I'm 22. I'm so pretty. He's like, hold it, hold it. You're not, that pretty. You're not that pretty. And then he just keeps going off. So it was a yeah, huge moment in post-fight interview. There are two professions that I feel, uh, well, three if you include boxing, but two other professions that I feel like Ali really influenced and that would really be appreciated by Ali. One is comedy mm-hmm. because he's incredibly funny. 
Yeah, yeah on, he, on talk shows, he's he's great in terms of like one-liners. There's one clip that I can put on on the page for this episode where he's talking about the difference between black and white and all the words or like terms we associate with black yeah, and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, "Well, you know, angel food cake is the white cake, and yeah. then the devil's food cake is the black cake." And yeah. he just does like twenty. It sounds like a Carlin. Yeah, he, ha- he has so much just like built up it's kind of crazy too because i'm like that means he had to think of all those things yes like he was just like after training one day he was like oh this could be funny and he just starts like writing i'm like that's insane he was like you said very funny and very like charismatic and charming in a way that it's like a superstar thing it really is yeah and the other profession I was going to mention is music, particularly hip hop and rap, where there's actually a whole documentary on Muhammad Ali's influence on rap and how oh, he's wow. possibly kind of the first rapper. Oh, and if you hear any of those like longer speeches that you were talking about mm-hmm. where he's talking to an interviewer or whatever, yeah. it's so rhythmic. Yeah, exactly. He, he has uh, some of his there was one before a George Foreman fight where he's talking about he's like. I wrestled an alligator. He's like, I handcuffed lightning. He does. He does this whole thing, and I'm like, that takes work. Like that. That was a very. So I love that one. I actually wrote that one down just for. Oh, perfect. I've wrestled with alligators. I've tussled with a whale. I done handcuffed lightning and throw thunder in jail. You know I'm bad. Just last week I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean. I make medicine sick. Yeah, he was like, who? Like how? Like boxers don't do that <laughs> they, they don't write poetry basically but he was, and it's just they don't do that <laughs> you know what i mean it's insane so he becomes the heavyweight champion and only a few days later it is announced that he has converted to islam and that he's now part of the black muslims that he is mm-hmm. part of the nation of islam just to briefly i guess say what the nation of islam is and i'm summing up something that's you know incredibly like you'll nail it you got it (laughs) believe in you (laughs) i mean essentially the nation of islam was developed in in the 1930s but it really gains a lot of popular appeal in the late 50s and the early 60s under the leadership of a guy named elijah muhammad and it is a sort of black separatist movement so as opposed to someone like martin luther king who wants to integrate blacks and whites in this time period the nation of islam wants the opposite and for elijah muhammad there is definitely a feeling like white people are the devil yeah and there's a whole sort of larger story involved of how the world came into being how the universe came into being and how the history of the past few thousand years has been the white people holding down people of color and that there will be some sort of uh, reckoning where people of color will take over once again. Yeah, and th- and that plays really into Ali's, I think, decisions later regarding like the war because you'll hear interviews of him. He defends his decision to not go more by saying, well, I'm not going to do that because white people don't treat me right here, so why would I go fight for white people over there? Exactly. So that was a, a big reason that he did it. And it was also... I don't want to say like a rivalry or anything, but Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X were both trying to get really close with Ali because he was like the most famous person in the world at that time. So whoever he goes with, that movement will obviously get more attention. He ended up going towards uh, Elijah Muhammad and that side. But it's, it's cool that there was like this connection with like Malcolm X connecting him even more to like the civil rights movement. Right. And it all just was right there right so malcolm x is sort of the lead spokesperson for the nation of islam for Mm -hmm. a few years Mm -hmm. and is a devout follower of elijah muhammad 
towards the what ends up being the very end of Malcolm X's life around 1964, Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad have what you said, a famous break. Yeah. And at first, Malcolm X is very quiet about the reasons behind it, but he does eventually express that he thinks that Elijah Muhammad doesn't isn't practicing kind of true Islam. And he also points out that Elijah Muhammad has like a lot of illegitimate children with younger women yeah. and that he's not the idol basically that Malcolm X always assumed he was. Yeah, it's a little fuzzy to get into, but there there's there's definitely like a very dramatic break yes. in which that Ali had to very definitively choose one side or the other because you know how like when you're friends with two people and maybe they're not cool but you can still kind of hang out it wasn't one of those like at all no yeah so much so that elijah muhammad had malcolm x killed yeah so that's that's a pretty <laughs> bad a uh, yeah th- yeah i feel like they wouldn't uh, just hang out you know as you said also a lot of the idea i, I should explain just in general so cassius clay elijah muhammad gives cassius clay the name muhammad ali mm-hmm. it is a particularly a big honor that he was given the name because at first for a few days he's Cassius X just like Malcolm X and then they give him the name Muhammad Ali that's a that's a huge sign of respect that you're not just given an X name the reason why Malcolm Little changed his name to Malcolm X Cassius Clay changed his name to Muhammad Ali is that their previous names were seen as like white names basically their slave names that were given to them by white people and by adopting a more traditional Islamic name they are kind of taking back their original culture. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the thing he always talked about too. Is like because I there were fighters and that I guess wouldn't like use his name. They would keep calling him Cassius Clay, and then I think he really tried to like hurt and embarrass people. Because besides that, I feel like in boxing and in fighting particularly, there's there's a mutual kind of like respect there. Be like, I'm gonna try to hurt you, but we're both. This right. is our job. But there were, I think uh, Ernie Terrell and Floyd Patterson both wouldn't call him. Muhammad Ali. Right. So he would like carry them into rounds and like yell at them in the ring, be like, "What's my name?" Because he they wouldn't say it, and then uh, you just beat him up for as long as he could. Yeah. And uh, there's a new-ish HBO documentary called "What's My Name." Oh, okay. And it's that exact reference where against those boxers where he's like literally shouting at them, "What's my name?" as he just beats the crap out of them. Yeah. And like you said, is extending the fights. Like torturing them. Yeah, exactly. Just to which he, he had another great point where people got very mad at him for that. He's like, well, if I knock people out fast, you guys think it's fixed. And if I knock them out slow, you guys don't like me either. So what the hell do you want me to do? <laughs> that, that sounds great. Uh, what's, what's the song? Uh, it's an HBO Max one. Oh, I think okay. it's 2019. HBO. Somebody guys doing well. <laughs> no, I'm, my mom's <laughs> password. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and... <laughs> Okay, so there is a so he converts to Islam. He's he is now Muhammad Ali, and there's a rematch against Sonny Liston. This fight actually lasts less than two minutes. Mm-hmm. There is a famous quote, "Phantom Punch," yeah, where Liston goes down, and I guess there's debate about whether or not he was taking a dive or not. Yeah, I I don't think there's really much debate At anymore. This point. I think people are kind of just like yeah, because because in it. That, that, he that, took, that he took the dive or that he didn't? That he did take the dive. Okay. I, I think that's kind of a consensus. I might be speaking out, out of school here. But um, that's that really that's a famous uh, Ali picture. It's yes. from the second fight where he's like yelling at him to tell him to like get up. Because uh, the theory is that, like, well, he he like knows he didn't like hit him that hard. So like, get what are you doing? Get, <laughs> get up. 
that's great that that famous iconic photo that's in so many people's homes and whatever mm-hmm. is the story there is less that he just like dominated someone and he's like, yeah, I'm the greatest, whatever, yeah. which is what we associate with Ali. Yeah. But it's more of a like, wait, what? Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> like he's, more want- con- <laughs> he's more confused than, than really cocky there. That's great. I want to beat you more. Yeah. Is what he's saying. Yeah. That'd be funny. <laughs> All right. So uh, Clay versus Liston 2 is 1965. He has a series of other fights, including the fights where he's yelling, what's my name at people. During these fights, he's also doing the famous Ali thing where he's calling how many rounds yeah. a fight is going to be. Yeah. He, and then he often is right. He, he nailed it a bunch, which it's funny now seeing seeing some people, like uh, mostly uh, Conor McGregor has has done that before too. And I think a few people are like the third round, the fourth round or whatever. Yeah, he, he was just getting it right all the time. He had like little rhymes for them too. It was it was great. Very smart move. We reached the pivotal point of his life that we alluded to before in the Vietnam War is going on and in the late 60s and it is only intensifying. In 1962, Ali was conscripted and listed as 1A. He was listed eligible. And then in 1964, he was classified as 1Y, which means fit for service only in times of an emergency. Uh, And that was because of his writing and spelling skills, because of the dyslexia, actually. And then, finally, in 1966, he he decides that he is going to be a conscientious objector to the war in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And he says it is for religious reasons that, um, as a Muslim, he's not going to fight in a war unless it is like a a holy, you know, God-given war. Yeah. And the famous quote is, I ain't got no quarrel with them Viet Cong. Why should they ask me to put on a uniform and go... 10,000 miles from home and drop bombs and bullets on brown people in Vietnam while so-called Negro people in Louisville are treated like dogs and denied simple human rights. Yeah. So, yeah, like you said, we talked about earlier that he was very against it for, like, obviously his religious beliefs and background, but he would also go around colleges debating college kids. And they'd be like, why don't you go? And he's like, well, all you guys are like rich white kids and you're going to go to the Coast Guard or like London or France or these places that don't do anything. He's like, you want me to go die in a place that doesn't care if i live here so the inequality was such a a big part of why he i guess chose to exercise that which uh is very brave yeah and he went to a lot of uh historically black colleges and a lot of colleges that would maybe be more receptive to what he was saying but also he went places like you said he went places where he was unpopular yeah and on a larger scale now we think of muhammad ali as a pretty universally loved and respected figure but in the late 60s, he was not. No, because that's the thing, too, because so many people went to war. So many people got drafted. Right. That they're like, literally, it's like everyone's doing it, man. Like, you got to go do it. And he was like, no. So I, I see where they're coming to that draft dodging is can be seen in a very poor light. Because imagine like like your uncle or something goes to Vietnam and he dies there. And then you see this boxer who like, it's the 60s. You're probably racist. You see this black boxer who's not going to go. And you're like, well, what the what what's going on here? So, yeah, he was not well liked at the time yeah and jackie robinson's son went to war and jackie robinson was very critical of muhammad ali for exactly that reason what what you're saying it's like you've got to go yeah it wouldn't be i mean it is draft dodging i suppose technically but Mm -hmm. he was very open about the fact that he's like i will serve my time yeah he wasn't like i'm gonna leave or or anything like that he's like i am objecting and if i have to go to jail i'll go to jail In 1967, in a case after 21 minutes of deliberation, Ali was found guilty, given five years, and fined $10,000. 21 minutes? 21 minutes of deliberation. Jesus. Yeah. That's not a jury of his peers, (laughs) if you know what I mean. (laughs) However, 
he's allowed to not go to jail until his appeal is over. So he appeals and he's free during that time. And during that time is when he speaks at colleges. During that time, he actually found he's the founder of a burger chain called Champs Burgers. But yeah, so during during that time, he had to tour colleges because he got stripped of his boxing license. He's not allowed to box. And he couldn't fly across. I don't think he had his passport either. So you couldn't like go to Canada and fight there. That's what we're talking about at the very beginning, where from 1967 to around 1970, he is not boxing. And that would be about the years of 1967 to like 25 to 28, which is your prime. Yeah. First of all, it makes me sad that I'm technically in my prime. Right. Because <laughs> I, I feel like I've been better. But it's just that's when you're a perfect combination of you can you're still like fast strong now you have you still heal like quickly from getting like beat up so it's such a but you also have the experience like you also have the wisdom yeah you've been fighting for over a decade yeah you started when he was 12 who gives up that part of their athletic career you know because it only lasts so long too so think about 28 all right cool i have another like three years of being really really good maybe yeah so it's just um it's nuts and that's i guess going back to this idea of ranking Muhammad Ali against other boxers, it's mm. really hard to do. I mean, it's almost like there are certain baseball players, Ted Williams, who went to war. Joe Lewis also went, yeah, went, yeah. To, went to World War II, mm-hmm. where you can basically say, these are this person's ridiculous stats and just add on you know, all the stuff that they could have done during those few years where they missed yeah, out. Yeah, it, it, it is kind of crazy. That happens normally. It used to happen like a lot that people would just stop being in the MLB because I have to go to korea or something right it's just oh that happens in in korea right now because if you're a korean citizen you have to serve two years in the military so there was like a famous ufc fighter named the korean zombie who had to leave yeah two years his given name or yeah Yeah, exactly his (laughs) his mom didn't like him the zombie (laughs) and uh so he had to leave and he came back and he's not as good now because he wasn't training for two years yeah or even like covid yeah which is taking away a year of a lot of people's careers in various sports yep us Going through COVID is the same thing as Nam. Yeah, it's a little worse, but (laughs) (laughs) it's just one man's opinion. So in 1971, there's a Supreme Court case, and it holds that Ali is a conscientious objector, and it basically says that his conviction should be reversed. He, He started fighting a little bit before the Supreme Court decision because certain leagues were letting him go back in. But after 1971, he is fully good to go. And he's still closely monitored by the FBI and the NSA. Yeah. But that's kind of not new news for him. Yeah. But that, that is kind of weird, though, to like <laughs> just know that that's like just happening yeah, in real life. Yeah, that's going on. Yeah, I'm, just exactly. a, I'm a boxer and like, yeah. <laughs> and the NSA is listening to my phone call. All right. So we can get up to 1971, the fight of the century, March 8th, 1971, at Madison Square Garden, Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier is the heavyweight champion at the time and the trash talk ensues right away. He calls Frazier an uncle Tom. He says the only people that are rooting for Joe Frazier are white people in suits, Alabama sheriffs and the KKK, which like Joe Frazier had a rough upbringing. Yeah. Like he is by no means Philly guy. Right. I I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he was not a a fan. I, I heard that like he, he uh, passed away a little before I leave it and he never like forgave him. Yes. He was like, no, man, fuck you. Like, why would you say those things? Of course. And there are a few people who, uh, George Foreman, I think, was a pallbearer at Ali's funeral. So there are a few people where everything seemed to be okay yeah. after the fact. But yeah, yeah. Frazier, no. 
Yeah, he just he just wasn't for it. They fought a bunch. They fought three times. And it makes sense because like even if it is all a show, mm-hmm. the stuff leading up to the matches, he's saying really rough. Yeah, you're saying si- I mean, you're to call still... someone an Uncle Tom. Is yeah, like... exactly. Especially like like you said, a, a guy from that kind of background who like faced God knows what he had to face throughout his life growing up in a tough city and then being a fighter and then having to deal with the rampant racism to get called that is not nice. <laughs> And, well, the good news for Frazier is that in this fight, in the fight of the century, Muhammad Ali loses yep. by a unanimous decision. Mm-hmm. Joe Frazier remains undefeated. Yeah, knocked and him Ali, down. Yes, and Ali is, well, knocked him down, but not... Not out. Not out. Okay, yeah, he knocked it, him yeah. down like 13th or 14th round or something. Yeah, long fights. So that is Ali's first loss. Yep. In 1973, Ali has a fight against Ken Norton where Ali's jaw is broken. He references that later in, in the George Foreman uh, speech. But yeah, it's the first time that he's, he like literally can't talk because his mouth is shut. And you can see him on interviews. There's a Dick Cavett interview and there's a Johnny Carson interview right after that fight. And mm-hmm. he does not seem like the same guy. I mean, yeah. that super energetic, taunting personality is at least temporarily... I mean, he's literally can't speak. Yeah, he's subdued. Yeah. yeah. He does have a rematch against Norton. He beats him, although that call was considered pretty controversial in terms of who really won the fight. Yeah, he had, he had a few of those later in, in the career just because he was so great. Like, home team always gets an, a little advantage, right? Yeah. So. Which is interesting because he's the most famous boxer mm. and he's the biggest personality, but he also he takes on the role of the villain very willingly. Yeah, it's it's... It's weird to be so popular and be such a heel. See, it, it worked. There's almost a bit of a, like a Don Rickle, like one of those comedians who are like taking on the point of view of a bad guy, but they have a bit of a, like, you know, they're kind of winking the whole time. Yeah, it, it's tough to pull off because if you don't do it right, you just look like a dick, right? So you have to have like good balance of, of being able to do everything, which he, he did great. It, you brought up a great point there. It's, it's weird that, Right now, we all picture him as so like beloved, but back then, so many people were not fans. No, yeah. no, no, no. And I think part of that has to do with time changing in general, but I think also, and we'll get into this, the fact that he does get sick and mm. does, we see automatically a much sort of more softer side of him later on, yeah. I think plays into it. I think if it all ended in the 70s, there would be probably a possibly a different view of him than if he didn't live on yeah maybe because that's the thing with fighters now is you'll see like roberto duran was a great fighter and he he has interviews where he's like ah, i could probably beat floyd mayweather up i'm like all right like that's just weird so it's 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 sad that that happened to ali but i think you're right that did help his legacy later on so in 1974, it's Ali versus Frazier 2. That's January 28th, the rematch. This time, Ali wins in a unanimous decision. Yep. However, before that match, Joe Frazier had lost the title to George Foreman. Like, George Foreman, like, really beat him up, though, George right? Foreman destroyed him, yeah. and George Foreman also destroyed Ken Norton. Yeah, So entering, really Yeah, so entering, I think, second round. So entering the Rumble in the Jungle... On October 30th, 1974, in Zaire, that's Muhammad Ali against George Foreman. Yeah. George Foreman is a 4-1 to favorite, first of all, because, or largely because, George Foreman had beat the crap out of two guys who had beaten Ali, yeah. Frazier and Norton. Yeah, and like, easily. Yeah. Like, not even close. He was a monster. <laughs> and he was also much, I think Foreman was like 25, and Ali was, I don't know, like what, early 30s, maybe? 32, yeah. Yeah. 
all right, this guy beat the people that like you didn't beat the first time, knocked them out, is younger than you, and is stronger than you. So like, there's no way he's going to do anything. Known as one of the hardest punchers of all time. Still yeah. is one of the hardest punchers yeah. of all time. And Ali is welcomed very, very warmly in Zaire to chants of the main chant was Ali Bomaye, yeah. which means literally Ali kill him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they were definitely leaning one way more than the other. In this fight is the most famous example of Muhammad Ali's rope-a-dope boxing method, yeah. which essentially just means that he's playing on the ropes and like inviting his opponent to punch him. Yeah. And hopefully the opponent exhausts themselves so that then Ali can kind of turn it almost like a racehorse, like can kind of turn it on in the later rounds yeah, and it, beat an exhausted opponent. Yeah, no one's no one had ever done it before, which I, I I love Ali, obviously. I chose him for this. I do think it's kind of funny that we're all like, look at what, like, what a genius he was. I'm like, is that really a genius move? <laughs> it's like, hey, man, punch me as hard as you can for as long as you can, and hopefully you get tired. It's definitely a bold move. It's definitely bold, and it worked. He- you would, yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess it is one of those things where I always think of it in like baseball where they have like a genius manager or whatever mm-hmm. and that you know it's always something like well he put the faster person he batted him second instead of first and yeah like, exactly Whoa, yeah what a, what a move fucking Einstein this guy's <laughs> doing yeah no he I, he was doing that because he was old he, he was like 32 so he didn't have he couldn't like bounce around and like move as much as he used to be able to so I guess he was like all right I, I think I can still do this if I just wait a little bit and there's interviews of foreman talking about he's like i thought i was winning he was like i thought this was easy and he just kept beating him up and then later he was like oh this isn't good right like kids still has like energy in them and ali beat foreman in an eighth round knockout in arguably the most famous fight of all time there's a great documentary called when we were kings which is specifically about the rumble in the jungle yeah I haven't seen it, but I... It won I, the Oscar for Best Documentary. Wow, really? Yeah. Okay, so that means that Muhammad Ali becomes heavyweight champion again. At that yep. point, two-time heavyweight Price. champion Muhammad Ali. Yep. A few more famous fights. One is that he has a fight against a guy named Chuck Wepner, which ends up being the inspiration... For Rocky. For Rocky. Yeah, white guy. White guy, huge underdog, gets a chance to fight the champ. Yep. In real life, Wepner actually did not go the full distance, which is the whole kind of point of Rocky. Yeah, yeah. But he came very, very close. Yeah, but who needs you know, to be that real. Rocky's a great movie. Oh, Rocky's one of the best movies ever. Yeah. And it's very clear, by the way, that Apollo Creed is based off of Muhammad Ali. Yeah, of course. Especially like in like Rocky Four when he enters like dancing. <laughs> you remember that big like show thing? It's like James Brown is there. I'm like, this is a very uh, uh, see-through-ish. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, and James Brown. Uh, the wrestler guy. Yeah, the yeah. wrestler guy. Gorgeous. Uh, George. What's his fame? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gorgeous George. There's also one Rocky reference from Muhammad Ali's career that I didn't realize was a thing is when he fights Sonny Liston before the Sonny Liston fight, Sonny Liston said, someone asked Sonny Liston, what's your prediction for the fight? And Sonny Liston said, pain. Oh, and that's, uh, wait, oh, that's Mr. T. Mr. T. Yeah, there you go. Prediction before the uh, Rocky Three fight. Yeah. I believe before the fight that he beats Rocky. I don't remember. I haven't seen the movie in a while. But well, I mean, I just the general idea yeah. is that Mr. T beats Rocky because Rocky lost the eye of the tiger. You know, he yeah, doesn't yeah. have the mentality anymore. Then Rocky becomes best friends with Apollo, and they run on the beach, and they hug each other, yeah. and then Rocky's great again, and then he beats Mr. T. Perfect. For what anyone listening, I just gave away Rocky. What a great <laughs> synopsis. If you haven't seen it's been 50 years. <laughs> ah, check it out. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, great movie. Sorry, we're talking about movies now. Yeah. 
please watch any of the Rockies. They're all great except yeah. for Rocky Five. But other than that, it's yeah. Just Creed flat. is okay. Creed was good. Yeah. Creed Two was good too. I haven't seen Creed Two. Yeah, it's yeah, alright. <laughs> yeah, you could go. With I get it. Michael, I just endorsed it. I get it. I'm like, wow, it's Michael B. Jordan's ripped. He's <laughs> handsome. It's all gonna go fine. That's the main theme of the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a good-looking man. Oh, sorry. Better than Stallone. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm tell, what are we I'm, talking about? Here? I'm going to be bold right now, and I'm going to say it. <laughs> Michael B. Jordan, a better-looking man than Sylvester Stallone. Now you're going to get hate emails. <laughs> yeah. Getting towards the end of Ali's career, October 1st, 1975, is the Thrilla in Manila, fought in Manila, Philippines, and that is the third fight that Ali faces against Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier doesn't come out for the 15th round, so Ali versus Frazier ends up being two wins, one loss for Ali. Yep. Going back to some of the more personal Nation of Islam stuff, in 1976, Ali announces that he has broken off from... So, basically... In 1975, Elijah Muhammad dies, Mm. and the Nation of Islam splinters into two main factions, one led by Elijah Muhammad's son, Wallace D. Muhammad, and the other faction led by a guy who's still alive, Louis Farrakhan. And Wallace D. Muhammad shifts the group to Sunni Islam and says that Elijah Muhammad and the founder, Wallace Fard Muhammad, were no longer, not look at them as much as like divine as they would be considered beforehand. And the name is changed first to the world community of al-Islam in the West and then later to American Muslim Mission. The main difference between this and the previous Nation of Islam is that it has a non-racial view of religion. So white people are no longer the devil. Ah, that seems like a pretty big change. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. While Farrakhan kind of continues more that legacy. Yeah, okay. With the Nation of Islam that's still around today. Okay. And Ali sides more with Wallace Muhammad, sides more with Elijah Muhammad's son, who now takes the non-racial view of religion. Yeah. That that makes sense. I uh, but I chuckled earlier because you said a uh, Sunni Muslim or something. I yeah. thought State University of New York. So I apologize if I. No, that's what I meant. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Perfect. Yeah, I Sunni got Islam. I nailed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was they're they're actually yeah right. They they're I believe there's a football game coming up against Sunni Albany, which is. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Sunni Albany. Yeah. They had to get crushed. Yeah, <laughs> it's not going to go well. So, so that's more just sort of about how Muhammad Ali's sort of religious views evolve. I mean, he's a devout Muslim for the rest of his life, mm-hmm. but he does not believe in sort of as racially divided sort of philosophy yeah. um, as he did when he first converted in the mid '60s. Yeah, you start to. Well, he also converted when he was like. He was young. He was like 22. 22. Yeah, yeah, so now he's like crone. He's a little wiser now. Yeah. One would think so. It's a, it makes, it's a pivot that makes sense, I think. Right. And it's also like in his life, he has relationships with so many white people. Yeah. And from like trainers, agents. Trainers, yeah. yeah. And it makes sense that over time he would be much more in kind of and and I think that this is true for Ali in general and part of the reason why he's so widely respected. I mean, he just seems like for all the bragging and for all the boasting and all that stuff, like just kind of a wonderful guy. Yeah, exactly. He <laughs> he does seem like someone that I'm like damn, that'd be it'd be cool to hang out with him. Yeah, getting to the third time that Ali wins, he loses the championship in 1978. He loses to a guy named Leon Spinks, but then soon after he beats Spinks yeah. and becomes the only three-time heavyweight champion. Yeah, and that 
record remains today. Yeah, and Leon Spinks was like a very, by all accounts, I think a very green fighter, not very like well known or seasoned, but uh, you know he just he won. He Ali was old at this time. Yeah, and he retires in 1979 as the champion, but he returns soon after. Mm-hmm. He apparently had some money issues. Yeah, partly because he gave so much money to charity. That's great, but also like. At what point are you too good of a guy, you know? <laughs> and he has a famous match against a guy named Larry Holmes where he does lose. Yeah. Um, he fights one more time in 1981 against Trevor Burbick. And if you look at the Holmes fight in particular, it's it's sad. Yeah, it's not good. Because uh, Larry Holmes also didn't want to fight, I guess, because he was an old sparring partner with Muhammad Ali. And it's just like, I've heard stories of people saying that they were there and they were like crying. Because I'm like, this is just so... Like, what are you doing, man? Like, yeah. come on. But you're right. He needed he needed the money. Yeah. And you yeah. see the greatest hero, the greatest athlete of all time just getting beat. Yeah. Not even, not even like, close. <laughs> just, just covering. In 1981, he, well, <laughs> along with, I just wanted to mention this real quick. It's a random story. But in 1981, when he's in Los Angeles, he talks a guy off a ledge oh, who was wow. about to commit suicide. Huh. I'll put the article on uh, the line. It was a New York yeah. Times article about it. Oh, wow. But basically, a guy is has PTSD from Vietnam. He thinks he's in Vietnam. He's on the ledge of a tall building. And someone who's friendly with Ali calls Ali. Ali comes in driving, like speeding in on in his Rolls Royce. And there's a famous photo of Ali in a sort of a window near where the guy is about to At the ledge, commit suicide. Yeah. Wow. And he brings the guy in. Wow, that's great. I mean, if you're going to listen to anyone, you're probably going to listen to the champ. But it's just like, damn, that's crazy. Just real quick, Ali was married four times. He has a total of nine kids, seven daughters, two sons. Apparently, his first wife, who he was married to from 1964 to 1966, so when he's super young, they divorced largely because of disagreements having to do with the Nation of Islam. And maybe even the Nation of Islam sort of pressured him into divorcing her. Wow, okay. but Because she wasn't a devout... As devout a Muslim as they would have liked. Exactly. And some say, though, that that was like the one real love of his life or main love of his life, which I don't know if his other three wives would appreciate. Would disagree, yeah. yeah. (laughs) His last wife, Yolanda Williams, they were married in 1986 and they were together until his death. That's a long marriage. In 1984, Muhammad Ali was publicly announced that he had Parkinson's disease, which he suffered with until his death in... 2016 and as i'm sure many people will remember when he died the reaction and the funeral service i don't i can't think of another death that like sort of shook the nation more in recent history uh michael jackson i was gonna say i think the only other one would be michael jackson but dude like i was in uh i was in st louis because i was like interning over there because i was still in school yeah it was just pallet like you could feel it how sad it was Every, everybody like knew the guy and liked him i feel like there's very few like uh people that everyone considers like a hero he literally had a comic book where he was fighting superman that's how like big of a thing he was so when somebody like that dies it it's such a like an impact on everything the louisville funeral was was massive i watched a three-hour funeral yeah exactly. I, I i expected to just watch like one speech or two speeches yeah. and i couldn't stop watching it yeah billy crystal had a great speech yeah uh that uh was funny and poignant and uh made a great light of everything so yeah and i think the billy crystal speech and you can watch it online it's a really great eulogy brings to light just how decent of a human being he was and on a larger scale i mean he 
as we said, his charitable work was insane. There's an estimate of this I found on Wikipedia that it is estimated that Ali helped to feed more than 22 million people afflicted by hunger across the world. He was also used as kind of a diplomat several times in his life. Didn't he help something in Iraq? Yeah. Yeah. There's a famous photo of him shaking hands with Saddam Hussein trying Dang. to solve a hostage crisis, which yeah. he did. Yeah. Um, although he did get some pushback from it because he, I, I think because he like promised Hussein that he would bring back a quote, honest account of Iraq. Mm. Yeah. To like the States. Yeah. Yeah. And then also in 1980, President Jimmy Carter sent him on a mission to Africa to try to get African nations to boycott the Moscow Olympics in 1980. And Ali was kind of pissed because it was a much harder mission than he realized because all the African nations, or at least a lot of them, were upset that America didn't boycott the 1976 Olympics in South Africa, which was still an apartheid regime. Yeah. So that was kind of an impossible task for him. That sucks. He's had a lot to do with the Olympics. One in Rome, lit the torch. uh, Yeah, and the lighting of the torch would also be just one of those moving moments where he has severe Parkinson's disease, but he lights as the surprise guest for yeah. lighting the torch in Atlanta in 1996. Yeah, he did literally the final, like, like 12 feet or something. Yeah. Like, it was not far at all, but uh, it was, yeah, I, th- I guess nobody knew. Like, the president was there, and he didn't know about it. It was crazy. So what I want to ask, and I ask this every episode, and I, I just got to say, like, I love the choice of Muhammad Ali. Oh, I, thanks. I admired the guy forever. Why Why did you choose him? I'm just such a, such a fan because it's, like I said, I, I have this thing with uh, with speeches that I really like hearing them. So he grabbed me that way and the way that he like speaks, which like you said, we're, we're comics. You just admire him for that and also just the willpower to give up such a big part of your life for something you believe in is something that I don't think I have. And I think very few people do or like I think everyone like thinks they have it. But when it comes down to it, I don't think uh, many people can actually follow through with it. So I've just been obsessed with the dude for like ever. And uh, when you asked me to pick somebody, I was like, I know a lot about this guy. I love this guy. Let's try that. Yeah. Luis Lopez, thank you so much for being on. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, you can follow me on all social media. Luis Lopez is here. Any comedy dates, I always update my website, which is uh, luislopezcomedy.com. And uh, besides that, uh, nothing else. All right, man. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me.